Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Apologetic series, released February 1st, 2021, titled, Does Survival Explain Morality? Some of these evolutionary morality guys have really worked hard to contrive ways of understanding these interconnected relationships so that even self-sacrificial behavior might be characterized as selfish for the group. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one i call it monkey morality everybody is somebody even and nobody sounds good to me if you have any poo fling it now welcome to apologia where a former christian takes a look at the claims of christians Today we're going to listen in on the SDR podcast with Greg Kokel and Amy Hall and their thoughts on naturalistic ontology for human morality. Here's one from Jason Boggs. I've heard the argument, quote, we develop morality out of our desire to survive. That sounds a little like something I might say. I would observe that species that desire to survive will lean into their survival advantage. And since humans are a social species... Empathy, cooperation, and group dynamics are going to maximize that advantage. And these qualities seem to be sufficient candidates to explain what we observe about human morality. And beyond mere survival, by definition, a creature will prefer flourishing over suffering. And empathy lets it understand that other creatures likely prefer the same. What they're claiming is our entire moral project is simply tied to self interest. I mean, I I think that's a fair way to sum it up. That depends on how you define self and self-interest here. The self-interest of a single individual isn't going to explain much. But if you mean the self-interest of the family, tribe, and species over the long term, then sure. There are all kinds of elements in our moral project that are not things that can be captured With simply a kind of socialized explanation. Oh, such as? Well, you know that one is doing it because they love grandma and the other one doesn't love grandma at all but wants to be put in grandma's will. Now, notice that the physical actions are the same. But because the intention of the heart is different, we all consider that a morally inferior act. Well, uh, by, by, in what sense is it morally inferior in light of this other explanation? If entity A and entity B are performing the same action, but entity A asks for less in return, then entity A is actually contributing more to the group than entity B. That behavior will be valued more. This isn't complicated. Stalin survived quite well. So did Mao. Okay, so did Lenin. So did Pol Pot. So did a whole bunch of people who, who used their power to do what most people would consider 
to be terribly wicked acts. On a personal level, these dictators lived grand lives, sure. But it is the long-term survival of the tribe or species that we're considering. Long-term species survival causes society to rise up and correct short-term radical swings toward individual selfishness. Rather than work against the naturalistic explanation, the ultimate fate of legacies of men like these actually demonstrates the principle, doesn't contradict it. So, I, I mean, one way of answering this question is to, is to simply try to get a, a broad understanding of what the moral project entails and see if the explanation that is being offered makes sense of all of these things. You've probably heard enough of my take on this. Time to call in a philosophical ringer, Mr. Scott Clifton. The hypothesis that this podcast is devoted to responding to is, it's just one sentence. We develop morality out of our desire to survive. That's it. That's, that's all we're working with. But how Greg Kokel chooses to understand that statement, I think, creates a lot of unnecessary confusion. He says, What they're claiming is our entire moral project is simply tied to self-interest. Now, I don't think that's what that statement means. It's an interpretation of the statement, but it's not the most obvious one, and it's certainly not the most charitable one. Morality may have been developed out of our desire to survive in the same way that modern science may have been developed out of our desire to glorify God. That does not entail that our entire scientific project is simply tied to glorifying God. In fact, the project we now call science, whatever its origins, not only has nothing to do with the desire to glorify God, it's even possible for that desire to make us bad at doing science. Take young earth creationism, for example. Just as it's possible for the desire to survive to make us bad at being moral. Just because one thing develops out of another thing doesn't mean it's what that thing is entirely about. So we have to be very clear about what answer to what question we're talking about here. Here's the empirical one. What are the facts about us as homo sapiens, historically, psychologically, that give us the interest we have in morality? What empirically explains the fact that we as a species have and care about concepts like right and wrong? Okay. Now here's the philosophical one. What makes something right or wrong? What is the objective fact about a behavior or choice that we are identifying when we call it right or wrong? These are different questions with different answers. Let's start with what we probably agree on. We probably agree that evolution by way of natural selection is not the answer to the second question. Not everything conducive to my survival is morally right, and not everything morally right is conducive to my survival. Conversely, not everything that jeopardizes my survival is morally wrong, and not everything that's morally wrong jeopardizes my survival. So it would be false to say that the fact about rape that makes it wrong is that it's deleterious to my survival. And while this is, you know, pretty clearly a straw man, that is to say hardly anyone who's given this subject more than a passing thought would take that position, we can agree that anyone who did take this position is obviously not thinking very carefully about the subject of metaethics. Now, if we were interested in that first question, what explains the fact that we have a concept of morality and care about it, what explains the fact that we have the moral intuitions we do, and so on, 
then yes, survival is probably going to play a big role in that answer. We are, after all, social creatures whose chances of survival are better in communities than on our own. Successful communities require cooperation, trust, compromise, sacrifice, empathy. It doesn't take an anthropologist to see that this is enough to set the stage for our moral evolution. But because Mr. Kokel helpfully offers his own worldview's answer in contrast with the answer he's criticizing, it is crystal clear that the question he's interested in is not the empirical one, but the philosophical one. What is morality? And while the answer obviously isn't survival, his criticisms of this answer reveal something very interesting about his line of reasoning, namely, he expects that a plausible account of morality will be able to meet certain criteria. Criteria which, as it happens, his own moral framework fails to meet. Time and again, throughout this podcast, Kokel offers a criticism of secular morality that I assume he just doesn't realize is just as applicable to Christianity. For example, Mr. Kokel emphasizes that moral rules can't be grounded in the subject. Why? Because as he puts it, that means no moral rule is objective in itself. It's always subjectivistic, which means it's relativistic. But on Kokel's own moral framework, moral rules are grounded in the subject. Th the subject being God. If God exists, he's not an object, he's a subject. And there's no additional descriptive fact about Kokel's conception of God that makes this any less true. An all-powerful, all-knowing, transcendent, immaterial subject is still a subject, and by Kokel's own rationale, it follows that moral rules are subjectivistic, which according to him means they are relativistic. So either Mr. Kokel is wrong that grounding morality in the subject per se is problematic, or his own account is no better off than the one he's criticizing. Here's another one. He says, You can't use moral terms in your explanation of morality. But if I were to ask Mr. Kokel why lying, for example, is wrong, what explains the wrongness of lying? He might have a story about how lying is wrong because lying is inconsistent with God's nature, right? But if I ask why it's wrong to be inconsistent with God's nature, he might say it's because God is morally perfect. But now you've just used moral terms in your explanation of morality. And if the secularist should have to avoid that, then so should he. So how might he do that? Well, he could say, okay, it's not that God is morally perfect in any sense that implies God's nature meets some standard of morality external to himself. It's that God's nature just is the standard we use for morality. But if this is the case, it means Mr. Kokel's moral framework would fail yet another test he expects a secular framework to pass. Of the view he's criticizing, Kokel alleges that there is no obligation not to rape. There is just a rationale that if we do that, at least on this view, that it somehow, who knows, um, decreases our survivability. All right. And so uh, I, I don't think this is adequate because it turns out that nothing is wrong in itself. In other words, for an account of morality to be any good, something that's wrong has to be wrong in and of itself. It has to be intrinsically wrong, not wrong because of some descriptive fact about the world. And once again, we find that Kokel's own view doesn't live up to this. He doesn't believe that lying is wrong in itself. He believes it's wrong because it deviates from God's nature. 
Now, if Mr. Kokel wants to deny this, if he wants to claim that lying really is intrinsically wrong, that there is no descriptive fact about the world making it wrong, then he's rendering God superfluous to his account of morality. God doesn't explain why lying is wrong. There's no fact about God that makes lying wrong. Lying is just wrong in itself, objectively. And that would be just as true on naturalism as it would be on Kokel's view, which means objective morality, if it exists, does not imply theism. So much for that argument. Anyway, I hope you can see a, a theme emerging here, which is that everything Mr. Kokel finds problematic in the account of morality he's criticizing is, in fact, a feature of his own account of morality as well. And, you know, it's, it's tempting to say something here about the importance of removing the plank from one's own eye. But I want to give just one last example of this, because I think this one's important, and I think it doesn't get talked about often enough. Self-sacrifice. Right? Kokel really hammered this one home, that part of our moral project is to deny self-interest. Part of what morality entails is saying no to yourself and yes to others, even at your own expense. Now, this is interesting because a Christian like Greg Kokel might believe that their worldview gives them a reason to be truly selfless and altruistic, but... Ultimately, there's still a reward, and not just any reward, an eternal reward, the greatest possible reward for doing that. And conversely, depending on your view of hell, there may be a punishment, eternal punishment, the worst possible punishment for not doing it. That's not altruism. That's self-interest. And you can argue that this reward is incidental. You know, it's, it's not what motivates being good. But that's a pretty easy claim to test. Okay, so if you're watching this and you're a Christian, I'm going to ask you a question and I just want you to be as honest with yourself as you can. If God gave you the option, would you sacrifice eternity in heaven alongside your creator for me? Would you go to hell forever so that I can go to heaven? That would be true altruism. That would be true selflessness. Now, just take a moment to notice the gears turning in your own head right now as you try to justify why you wouldn't make that sacrifice for me. You might think it wouldn't be just, or you might think it's, it's moot because God would never make you that offer in the first place. And that's actually not relevant. I don't have to respond to any of these objections. I need only ask you to be aware of the fact that you're searching for reasons not to put my interests above your own. Just let that marinate for a second. Mr. Kokel may be right that self-sacrifice is part of the moral project, but it's not part of the Christian project. On his view, moral behavior is always incentivized and ultimately rewarded. At least, for Christians, it is. <laughs> Ironically, if Christianity is true, an atheist can be truly self-sacrificial, but a believer can't. Anyway, I've tried not to make any appeals to my own view here, my own account of morality, because I don't even think Paul and I have the same view. And that's okay. We don't need to. There are plenty of defensible, self-consistent ways to think about morality, even objectively, without appealing to a god. 
The point here was to make an internal critique of Kokel's view, to show that while he does make some valid criticisms of the very low-hanging claim that what makes something moral is its conduciveness to one's survival, at the end of the day, he's writing checks with this line of reasoning that his meta-ethical framework can't cash. So, yeah, I'll leave it there. While you let all that sink in, if for some reason you haven't subscribed to Scott's channel, better known as Theoretical Bullshit, do yourself a favor and fix that today. He helped me a lot in my thinking, and I'm sure he will for you too. He's not that active on YouTube these days, but take a deep dive into his catalog and leave some comments asking him for more. Until next time, later. <laughs>